we could all turn to uh, Daniel 2 and 34. And Luke 20 and 17. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to read verse 34 and 35. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then if we could just flick to Luke 20 and 17. We'll read 17 and 18. And he beheld them and said, What is it then that it is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Over the last little while, we've heard the following messages. How long does God wait? The difference between being cut back and cut off. The spirit of Achan. The law of, the, of sowing and reaping. The preference of his presence. God doesn't want to share his house. There is no middle ground. And more recently, a convenient God and the, ta- and the tablecloth of grace. I feel to continue in the same vein with the thought that the Lord has given to me, fall on the rock. In Daniel chapter 2, we find the king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that disturbs him. He knew it was significant, but he didn't know what it meant. The only problem was that he couldn't remember the dream. He needed someone to tell him what the dream was and what it meant. The only thing about the dream that he could remember was the dread in his chest when he woke up. So he summoned all the wise men, astrologers, magicians and soothsayers of Babylon and promised a really large reward for anyone if they could tell him his dream and interpret it as well. Of course, they were most happy to interpret the dream if the king would only tell them what it was. And they became terrified when the king insisted that they were to tell him the dream and the interpretation as well or die. The wise men explained to the king, there's not a man upon the earth that can do what the king has asked. And never before has any king or ruler ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer or wise man. There is no one that can show the king his dream except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And of course, the king didn't take kindly to that response. He was furious. So because the wise men insisted that they were not able to satisfy the king's requirements, the king commanded that all the wise men of Babylon would be destroyed. So this includes Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or if you're Vegetales fan, Shadrach and Benny. When the time came for Daniel and his friends 
to be taken, Daniel asked the captain of the king's guard for some time and he would show the king the dream and the interpretation thereof. So Daniel and his friends gathered together and sought the mercies of God concerning the secret of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That Daniel and his fellows would not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. God answered their prayers and revealed the dream and its meaning to Daniel. Then Daniel went before the king and told him that the God in heaven had revealed to him all of what the king had seen. And Daniel told the king that it was a dream about future events and proceeded to explain the vision and the interpretation. The king saw an image of a man whose head was of gold, his chest and arms and thighs of brass. He had legs of iron and his feet were part iron and part clay. The different parts of the image represented different kingdoms or empires that would rule the world. Each kingdom or empire would be inferior and less glorious than its predecessor. The golden head represented Babylon in all its splendor and glory. However, the Babylonian Empire would be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians, which was represented by the silver chest and arms. Then the Grecian Empire would come and overthrow the Medes and the Persians, and the Grecian Empire was represented by the, the thighs of brass. And they would rule for a time, and then the Grecian Empire would be overthrown, and the Romans would take the Roman Empire would take over, and they were the legs of iron. God showed King Nebuchadnezzar that this empire, the Roman Empire, would be the last empire to rule the known world. The, the Roman Empire then disperses or, and morphs, keeping in mind that both the feet, that the feet are both iron and clay, into independent nations ruling in their own right, as we see today. Then all of a sudden. Out of nowhere, there appears a stone, and it's cut without hands. The stone has not been crafted using tools. Its existence cannot be credited to humanity, his ability or assistance. It is in direct contrast to the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, which exists by human hands and reared by human ambition. The stone cut without hands falls on the feet of the image and breaks it down into pieces, destroys all the kingdoms of this world, past and present, and breaks them into pieces and reduces it to dust. The picture is one of demolition. An old-fashioned wrecking ball comes to mind. However, unlike a wrecking ball that continually pounds against a concrete structure to bring it down with one strike, this stone, cut without hands, will diminish the image to dust that is blown away. These kingdoms are not slowly pulled apart, salvaging elements that could be repurposed at a later time to build something else, but they are completely destroyed. No recycling here. The stone cut without hands seems insignificant compared to the glory of the image which Nebuchadnezzar saw. But no matter its initial size, it demolishes every man-established kingdom, political ideology, and man-made philosophy and reduces it all to dust that is blown away like the chaff when it's separated from the grain in the threshing process. What once seems strong and terrifying and indestructible will in a moment vanish away. 
and another kingdom will instantly appear in its place as the stone of destruction becomes something new, a mountain that fills the earth that cannot and will not be ignored nor destroyed. In Luke, Jesus tells the parable of a certain man that planted a vineyard and charged it or leased it out to husbandmen to take care of it. Then as time passed, the owner of the vineyard sent a servant to the husbandman to collect what was owing to the landlord. But the husbandman beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a second servant to collect payment. And the second servant was also treated badly and sent away with nothing. Then the third servant was sent and the husbandman wounded him and cast him out of the vineyard again with no payment for the landlord. And as a last resort, the master of the vineyard sent his son, thinking that surely the husbandman would respect him and give him what was owed. But instead, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him with the intention of collecting the son's inheritance. Jesus finished the story by saying that the landlord would come and put the husbandman to death and give the vineyard to others to take care of. When the chief priests and the elders heard this, they said, God forbid. They understood that Jesus had not only spoken about how the prophets were treated in the past, that they had been treated shamefully, beaten and even killed and sent to Israel with a message from God, but that he also spoke of the one they waited for and that even when he appears in the obvious authority of his father, they too would mistreat him as they did the prophets before him and put him to death. Then the master would come and punish the husbandmen and give the vineyard to others. This not only refers to the kingdom of God becoming available to the Gentiles, as up to this point God dealt exclusively with the Jews, but it's also possible that Jesus is referring to the land of Israel being occupied by others instead of Israelites. Hence their reaction in verse 16, God forbid. And in verse 18, he says, and he beheld them. Jesus looked at them and saw beyond the facade of their religious piety. He knew in their heart that they were so puffed up in their own importance, in their own national, religious and individual pride that it would cause them to miss out on what the law was pointing them to. Their pride would be put their pride would put them on a similar path to their ancestors where they would reject God and what he was trying to do with them. They kept the law but ignored the weightier matters of the law because those things were not convenient for them. Judgment, mercy and faith were left undone. They were ignored while other things were done to the finest detail. They had missed the fact that all the counsel of God was required. It was all necessary. So Jesus asked the question, what is this then that it is written? Or what does it mean? What was written at the stone which the builders rejected has now become the head of the corner or the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first stone set in the foundation of a masonry building and is extremely important as every stone is then laid in reference to it and therefore determines the position of the entire structure. Something had been missed and caused them to be misaligned with the word of God. They had rejected something important. What was Jesus trying to show them in the parable 
that they just didn't get. At first glance, we might decide that the servants sent to the husbandmen who represented Israel, that is the husbandmen represented Israel, were rejected. We make this assumption because of their mistreatment. However, the cause of their mistreatment is not because they were the servants. It was because of the message they carried from their master, the owner of the vineyard. Give me what is owed. Each time the servants are set back, they're beaten and empty-handed. Now, when the son that was sent in the authority of his father was, came, it was a different matter. Instead of heeding the words of the son that would be profitable for them, to teach them, to convict them, to correct them, to instruct them in righteousness, that they may be complete and proficiently equipped for every good work, they killed him thinking they would gain more. However, by killing the son, they not only rejected the words of the father, but they rejected his authority as well. Throughout Israel's history, we see that the word of God and the authority in which it was sent was rejected time and time again. The word of God is the stone which the builders rejected. This is the cornerstone, the the foundational stone, that every other stone would be aligned with it. However, instead of placing the cornerstone in its rightful position, they rejected it and found it was much easier to work with their pride. This left their foundations deprived of what God had intended for them as a nation. When we reject the word of God, we replace it with pride and we miss out on what God has planned for us. King Saul is the poster child for pride. Pride is the origin of sin and manifests itself in many things, including including self-sufficiency and disobedience. Saul's pride was the cause of his failure to keep the word of God. All God had planned for him was taken from him and given to another. Israel continually rejected the word of God, the laws and the commandments, the precepts, the precepts and the statutes given to govern them. The word was to be the cornerstone in which the foundations of Israel were set. It was God's plan to build a nation of people completely separated unto himself. But they rejected the word of God and insisted on looking like the other nations around about them. This was in direct contradiction to what God had planned for them. Jesus warns the Pharisees and the elders that the stone which was rejected by the builders is become the head of the corner. The word of God is the cornerstone that everything should align with and everything will be judged by. That whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on, it, but on who it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The word of God is the stone or the rock that will destroy the kingdoms of this world as we read in Daniel. The word of God will have the final say in every life. Everything around us shall pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. We can skip judgment now by bowing now. We can fall on the rock now and be broken, or we can wait for a more convenient time and be judged. Then the word of God will fall on us and we will be ground to powder. But God in his mercy towards us has given us time to respond to his word, to fall on that stone and be broken. He has given us time in order to repent, 
but we choose to respond or ignore and reject his word, to reject its prodding, its discomfort and conviction. The word of God is not only full of compassion, but it's also full of judgment. Compassion for those who love and obey the word of God and judgment for those who are deemed disobedient in reference to the word of God. We cannot escape the word of God. We can face it now and find his mercy or we can ignore it and take the chance of his judgment. Don't judge me will not work when we stand before God in the end. The word of God will determine our end. When we are confronted with the word of God, our reaction is either one of submission as we fall on the stone and submit ourselves to what has been revealed or we reject it. When we reject it, we allow it to become something that we stumble over and become offended by. Whether we take offense to the servant that brings the word or just to choose to ignore the message, we will be accountable to it. The word of God is not an option. Right now, it may seem that we have many options to align our lives with. We can choose to believe whatever we like, and this power has been granted to us by our Creator. But we will give account for every action, whether they align with the cornerstone. Life is not a multiple choice exam where the word of God is an option. He is the only answer that gets the correct results in the end. The word of God represents to us the message of presents to us, sorry, the message of salvation. Jesus is willing that none should perish, but that all should fall on the stone and be broken. The Bible clearly instructs every one of us needs to repent be baptized in Jesus name for the remission of our sins that is the taking away or forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the spirit enables us Jesus the word made flesh stressed the importance of repentance when he forgave sins and instructed others to go and sin no more he gave us the example by submitting himself he who had no sin to the water baptism for repentance. It was Jesus himself who spoke of the importance of being born of water and of spirit and that it was necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God. He made reference to the receiving of the Holy Ghost, which would be made available once he ascended after his resurrection, when he urged those who were thirsty to come unto him and drink and that out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. Once Jesus had ascended, the elements for salvation were revealed through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the gospel. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the people were confronted with the word of God. They felt conviction grip their heart, and they asked, What shall we do? And Peter answered and said unto them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Word of God reaffirms the salvation message throughout the epistles, letters written to the churches, 
and even in types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. When we repent, we acknowledge that we have a sinful nature and that we no longer want to live the way we have been living. We pour this out at the foot of the cross, as it were. Not my will, but thine be done. As Jesus died for us, we die unto him. We are then buried with him in baptism, Romans 6 and 4 and Colossians 2 and 12. And we are raised up into life when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit enables us. But this is just the beginning. We have entered kingdom life. And now there's a new way to live. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And this new way that the Bible teaches us to live can be confronting to some. There are behavioral behavioral and lifestyle changes that are necessary to be part of the kingdom of God. Like the vineyard was taken from the husbandman, our kingdom citizenship can be revoked. The word of God will confront and provoke our thinking, our culture, our feelings, our mindset, and even our rights. All these things must change and be aligned with the word of God. It is not politically correct to stand for anything that is biblically correct. To do so implies that there is right and wrong. If our life is to be aligned with the cornerstone, we need to be more concerned about what is biblically correct than politically correct. All things politically correct will be reduced to dust, as God revealed to Daniel, and only the word of God will remain. It would be nice to think that our carnal nature dies at repentance and is buried forever with baptism. But our carnal nature requires constant surrendering. It's never completely dealt with. It needs a wrecking ball to keep it in place. The Apostle Paul penned the words, I die daily. Daily he fell on the rock. He humbled himself, spilling his carnal nature out on the stone, his desires his feelings, his weaknesses, his faults, emptying emptying himself out and filling himself with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, making sure his life was aligned with the cornerstone. God is constantly working on us. He He will rebuild what is broken. However, we can either assist or hinder his work. When we are confronted with the word of God, we may not like what it reveals in us. It will expose our pride and show us if we are thinking, if our thinking is out of line with the word of God. It will show us what our true foundation is. And if it is not that, and if it isn't what it should be, the head cornerstone. Traditions we hold on to that are contrary to the word of God will be exposed. Some of these things we have been taught as children are imp- and are important to our family and our culture, but they are not of God. We cannot align our lives with these things and the word of God. It's one or the, or the other. Bitterness, rebellion, resentment, high-mindedness, and other such things are all attitudes that the word of God will, will reveal if they are in our hearts. We are called to be holy, for God is holy. If the word of God is truly our cornerstone, we have no problem falling on the stone. We do not fear being broken, for we know that he will rebuild us 
and he will make us a better version of who we are. Root, uh, sorry, pride is the root of offense. When we, when we are offended by the word of God, we will stumble. It will continually trip us up each time we are confronted until we deal with it. But how long will God wait? When we continually reject the word of God, we will come to the place where it will no longer bother us and the path of deception is paved. Many mistake the feeling of conviction for offense. The word of God will grate us the wrong way. Conviction isn't a nice fuzzy feeling. It cuts deep, it wounds, it hurts, and it should have us running to God, not running away from him. Conviction is part of aligning ourselves with the word of God. It brings us to repentance, to that place of brokenness, where we recognize we have sinned, we have disobeyed, we have behaved contrary to the will of our heavenly father, and we surrender to his word. We fall on the rock or the stone. The word of God is for everyone. It is timeless and doesn't change. There are no exclusions or exceptions. We choose if we take advantage of the mercy of God or if we will feel the severity of his judgment. Mercy is shown to all that love him and keep his commandments. Exodus 20 and 6. And he keeps mercy for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34 and 7. When the word is presented to us, we have the option to fall on it and be broken. This is the mercy of God. What we actually deserve is for the stone to fall on us. But he has prepared a place where his compassion is extended to us. We do not deserve his mercy. We do not deserve the opportunity to fall on the stone and be broken. This is his grace. A broken vessel will spill out its contents on whatever it falls on. And when we are full of ourselves, he wants us to spill that out on him. When we allow ourselves to be broken by the word of God, we yield our thinking, our understanding, our feelings, our rights, and our will to God, enabling him to bring about the changes required to transform us into his likeness and image. When we fall on the word of God and we are broken, he can rebuild us. God uses people to bring his word to us, much like the servants in the vineyard. We can be offended by the message the servant brings, or we can fall on it. God uses preaching to let us know his intentions for us. We can get offended and ignore the messages that come forth week in and week out, or we can fall on the preached word and be broken, finding a place at an altar where we allow the word to do its work in us. God uses the pastor whom he has chosen and placed over us, whether we like him or her or not. This is by divine intention to work in us and bring about the will of God in our lives. Be assured that if we struggle with a certain character trait, that God will bring those things to the surface through our pastor or church members that he has placed around us that Christ would be formed in us, that the word of God would be fulfilled. We can now allow the pastor to be a stumbling block in our lives and ignore and get offended each time he gets near that sensitive part God is wanting to deal with, the God is wanting to heal, to deliver, to reveal to us 
and set us free from. Or we can allow him to be instrumental in our growth and bring us to the place where we can fall on the word and have what God has intended for us. We choose. We can be like the Pharisees that they looked like they had it all together on the outside. They did all the right things and they looked the part. They talked right. They seemed to walk right, but something was off center. They chose not to align themselves with the head of the corner. Like the Pharisees, we can choose to resist correction and resist instruction. We can, res- we can choose to resist training in righteousness and do our own thing, be self-righteous. We can choose to reject the word and refuse a place of repentance. But when the stone that is cut without hands appears and destroys everything this world stands for, it will be too late to turn around, too late to repent. Our fate will be sealed. Then will the stone become the mountain. It will no longer be ignored. All of a sudden, it will become of great importance to those that did not value it when it was only a stone, but it will be too late. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fail severity, but towards thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. How long does God wait? Now is the time to fall on the stone that the builders rejected. Now is the time to be honest with yourself and God and be realigned with the head of the corner. Now is the time to recognize that being cut back is not the same as being cut off. That being broken is necessary for God's word to be accomplished in us and it's not the same as being ground to powder. Now is the time to confess and repent to dig up the stuff you've hidden in your heart. Do not ignore conviction. Do not kick against the pricks. Do not allow the spirit of Achan to get the better of you. He knew what he had done. It was intentional sin. He didn't accidentally pick the stuff up. But he hid it in his breastplate or his tunic or however he snuck it out, knowing it would curse his family and everything he owned. And he buried it in his tent. His sin not only affected his family, but it affected his brethren as well. Men died because of his disobedience. A little time passed and God revealed there was sin in the camp. There was time to repent. There was time to confess. He knew he had sinned. He knew they would come for him, but he didn't give it up. He knew they would find him. He didn't confess. He knew his sin would be revealed but it did not cause him to come clean. And when judgment was passed, the stone fell on him and all that was his. Now is the time to recognize the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 and 7 tells us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sow in brokenness and not in pride, and reap the benefits of an aligned life with the head of the corner. Fall on the rock. Now is the time to recognize that God doesn't want to share his house. We are to live exclusively for him, upholding the word of God in our lives, living a life of brokenness in his presence, aligning ourselves with the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders. When we do this, we do not make room for other things that would push God out. Now is the time to recognize there's no middle ground. 
We either fall on the rock and be broken or the rock will fall on us and grind us to powder. Now is not a, conven- it's not a time for a convenient God. We are at the feet of Nebuchadnezzar's image. The stone that the builders rejected will soon appear and become a great, big, inconvenient mountain filling the earth. Falling on the rock and being broken is inconvenient, but so is judgment. The tablecloth of grace reminds us that brokenness is welcome at the king's table. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God thou will not despise. The Amplified reads like this, My only sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, broken with sorrow for sin, thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. Sister Cassie, if you would come. We have been given this space of grace to willingly fall on the rock and be broken, yielding ourselves to righteousness, allowing the word to work in us to change us. The word of God is not to be taken lightly. Jesus had compassion and ministered from this platform, but he also spoke of judgment. The wheat and the tares will be separated, and so too will the goats and the sheep. There is leaven to be dealt with, there is a judge to answer to, and there's a rock to build upon. Will we fall on the rock? Or will we have it fall on us? We have the choice. Do we guard ourselves against pride, against deception? Pride is in all of us and it's the origin of sin. We can align ourselves with what we think and what, what we want and with what we feel. and we, Or we can choose to fall on the rock and be broken and spill all that out before the Lord and allow him to rebuild us into what he thinks what he wants, what he feels. We have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his desire that we would fall on the word of God and be broken. He doesn't want the word of God to fall on us. And just stand tonight 